0: Hello, welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Join the show this week as ever. We have Jane Sweet from Sweet
1: and South Podcast. How's your week been, mate? Terrific week, Rob, and I'm delighted to be back on the radio with you. There was a monster upset in the world of boxing and a fantastic UFC fight, and I can't wait to break it down. Yep.
0: So, what we'll do? We'll start with the UFC. UFC. 258. The main event took place uh, on Saturday night. Uh, can you break
1: it down for us? Yeah, tremendous main event, Rob. It was a battle between a wrestler in Kamara Usman and a jiu jitsu fighter in Gilbert Burns. Two men who were former teammates, so there was a great deal of emotion in this one. And it was interesting stylistically. Could Kamara Usman find a way to implement his style and avoid being Ended up in a submission by Gilbert Burns. Ultimately, that is what he managed to do. He was successful. His jab was imperative. I mean, he survived an early onslaught from Burns in the first round who rocked Usman to his core. But Usman rallied back, used a stern jab, and he just outperformed Burns in many ways. He was too slick and too clever. And ultimately, just a bit too much experience on the night for Gilbert Burns. Usman... Looking as good as he's ever looked right now. Looking fierce, looking strong. And he's looking like the best welterweight we've seen in a very long time. But I think it's going to take a lot to take him off his throat. And Burns, as good as he was, as good as he is. I mean, he's beaten a lot of people. He's coming off uh, an incredible win over Tyron Woodley. It still wasn't enough to beat the Nigerian nightmare, Kamara Usman, who, who's looking pretty unbeatable right now. Uh, were you shocked when the champion was dropped? Yeah, I mean, Gilbert Burns on paper was always the heavier hitter. So it didn't shock me they could hurt Kamaru Usman, but it seemed early on that Usman was a bit more stiff and Burns was a bit more free-flowing. So it wasn't shocking me that Burns was catching him. And it almost looked like it was a matter of time for Usman. But Usman just stayed in there. He has a relentless gas tank. He never gets tired. He's able to keep going and weather storms. It's what he did against Colby Covington. So as the rounds go on, Usman's jab starts to get established. He starts to land more right hands. birds begins to tire, and Usman begins to set his pace. So although I was shocked that Usman went down, what shocked me less is the fact that he was able to get up and carry on winning, because that just seems to be what he does. He finds a way to win, no matter what. It's
0: early to say it was fight of the year, James, but was it a contender?
1: It certainly is. I mean, February, as you say, very early. But when we look back at the end of the year and think about all the great fights... I can't see this one not be included in there. I mean, it had everything. Both men went down. Both men were hurt. It was exciting. It was exhilarating. We were all on the edge of our seats. At one minute, Usman looked like he was beaten. Then he came back to beat Burns. Burns survived a couple of onslaughts himself. Overall, fantastic fight. And is as much as the grappling seemed to be a potential prominent factor in this fight, it wasn't really. It was more of a striking matchup, and that tends to be what happens when two really high-level grapplers don't fancy entertaining it with themselves. Then again, Burns did try and have a few takedown attempts, and Osman maintained his near-perfect takedown defence record. But overall, a fantastic fight, one that, yes, I do think will be considered one of the best of the year later on. Uh, where does uh, Burns go from here, after his loss? It's difficult to say, Rob. I mean, He'll be massively disheartened. I mean, he was in the octagon, crying his eyes out. He was devastated. I mean, this was his big moment to prove that he was the best on the planet. And, you know, he nearly did in that first round when he had Usman hurt. He wasn't able to capitalize on it, and he wasn't able to prove it last night. But he's still one of the very best on the planet. And, you know, who knows? Usman's not going to be around forever. There may be a chance for Gilbert Burst to fight for the world title again, and he is capable of winning it. He's an exceptional fighter. As for what should happen next, I think he should take a bit of time out he had a battle with coronavirus early, uh, towards the end of last year. He's had some struggles and he has been active. So I think that he can take a bit of time out, maybe six to eight months, reevaluate, get back on the horse, and then come back against some other big names. Because I still think he's the second best to out in the world, Rob. I really do. I think he beats the likes of Masvidal and other people like that. I think he has a lot of people to beat. So I won't be too worried about where his career is going. He's got a lot left in the tank. Who's uh, next for the champion now, James? It's difficult to say. I mean, I think most people are directing towards the idea of Jorge Masvidal. That's who Usman called out in his post-fight review. His uh, interview, rather. Those two have met before. It was one of the biggest selling fights in pay-per-view history. 1.3 million pay-per-view buys generated by that. An absolute monster pay-per-view. Jorge Masvidal has become a mega, mega, mega star in the UFC after beating the likes of Darren Till, Ben Askren and Nate Diaz. However, when the two actually fought, it was it was painfully one-sided. It was a 25-minute beatdown from a Kamara Usman. He won every single second, and as much money as it had make Usman in a rematch, and as much money it had made the UFC in a rematch, I don't think the fans see much point in it because even though Masvidal took it on short notice, it wasn't a competitive fight. Usman won every single second, and I'd rather see Usman fight other people who can potentially give him a challenge rather than somebody who we know respectfully. Isn't in the same league as the champion. There's a there's a
0: rumor of a series of ultimate fighter with a champion and his nemesis of as coaches. Um, is this a good idea, James?
1: I mean, Usman and Masvidal, as we said, they are enemies. They are, you know, embedded in this ultimate rivalry between one another. It, it it's bad blood to say the least. And I think a series of the ultimate fight would be exceptionally entertaining. You get the two going back and forth, trading insults squaring off. I mean, the two have had to be separated in the past, you know, outside of the octagon. So, it will be very interesting, and it will be a great way to generate revenue and hype for this next fight, because assuming there would be crowd back, and I think it would be a sellout. However, ultimately, I think a series of the ultimatum still leads to the same outcome. A dominant decision from Kamara Usman, and I can't see it being any other way. I can't see a world in which Masvidal wins the fight. Yes, he has that one-punch power. Yes, he can turn anybody's lights off. But last time, we saw the fact that Kamara Usman was able to completely neutralise that and take Masvidal out of his game. And Masvidal didn't seem to have a prayer throughout the first round to the last. So, as good as a series of the ultimate fight would be, I think there's other options. I mean, Colby Covington, I'd rather see a rematch between Usman and Covington because that was a competitive fight. The Masvidal one, as good as this series would be, as good as the hype generated would be, ultimately, it finishes for me in a one-sided fight in the end. Where is the champion and the best in the world now, James. In terms of the active pound for pound, he's got to be top three, hasn't he? I mean, it's weird for somebody who's been so dominated to be so underrated. And yes, he has only had three title defences, but he also beat Tyron Woodley for the belt. He's got the likes of Damien Mao, Raphael Dos Anjos, Leon Edwards, all on his resume. He is one of the best UFC welterweights I think we've ever seen. And for me, after George St-Pierre, who's currently the best and... Arguably the greatest fighter who's ever lived. I think you have to put Usman in there as that number two. I think after a few title defenses, he could stick his own claim to being the best welterweight all-time. But at the moment, he's looking fantastic. He's only a couple of wins away from being in that picture.
0: There's a lad in the UK who believes he can dethrone the champion.
1: Uh, can you tell us about him? Yeah, Leon Edwards, uh, Jamaican-born, Birmingham-based and has lived in Birmingham since he was a child. He's come from gang culture to become a real good fighter. He lost to Usman earlier in his career, but he's gone on an eight-fight win streak. He's beaten some great names in that welterweight division. And I think he could be the biggest threat to Kamara Usman. He's a very educated striker. And despite the fact that that first fight was one-sided, there's been a lot of development since then. Leon Edwards was only a young lad at the time, and I think it's taken his time to develop, and I think he learned from that loss, and he's the best he's ever looked. He's not fought in a long time, but there's rumours he could have a fight coming up with Colby Covington, and should he win that, he would be next in line for Kamaru Usman, and I think he'd have a real chance. And personally, he's who I'd like to see Kamaru Usman fight next, should he win his next fight. Is there any other potential contenders, James? To be honest with you, Rob... Probably not. I mean, there's Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, a kickboxer who was very unlucky not to win a world title in his last fight. He's never fought Usman. He's one of the nicest men in the game. and I don't think anyone would begrudge him getting a shot. I think stylistically he could offer some problems with his, you know, long-range kickboxing style. Usman can be outboxed. And if somebody could outbox him, it would definitely be Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who was 57-0 and in the field of kickboxing. Kamzat Shimiev's coming through, but I think that'd be a little bit early for him. So aside from Lee Edwards and you know, Colby Covington potentially in a rematch. He, he has pretty much wiped out that division. There's not many people who I see being a threat to Usman. And even still, all these names that I mentioned that could give him competitive fights, I still think Usman goes in a big favourite. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating, James. Just a quick one, obviously, before uh, before we
0: move on to boxing. You know, obviously, UFC now, it's growing as a sport. Uh, where do you
1: see it in sort of 12 months, five years' time? In five years' time, Rob, I see it being even more prominent than it is. I mean, they've just secured a deal with ESPN. They've gone from being this sort of underground sport that's very, very seedy and very dodgy to becoming a mainstream sport. It's absolutely massive in America now. Of course, as I say, on ESPN, it's been on Fox in the past. It's humongous in Brazil, and it's growing gradually in the likes of the Southern Hemisphere of Australia and New Zealand producing world champions. I mean, Conor McGregor, of course, from Ireland. It's big in Poland. It's big in Russia. It's getting big in the Middle East. It just seems to be gradually rising in profile across the entire world. And in five years' time, Rob, I see it being you know, a top five sport in the world. I definitely see it exceeding boxing because so many people complain regularly about not getting to see the facts we want in boxing. And the decisions constantly go in the wrong way in boxing. And the UFC, you don't really have to deal with that. In, I suppose it's a more pure form of combat. So I see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger before it's a real mainstream sport across the globe. And we'll be covering it all on,
0: on the Sport Zone on uh, Salford City Radio. Let's uh, let's move on to, to boxing now, James. Last night, we saw one of the biggest upsets in British boxing history as Josh Warrington was knocked
1: out cold by an unknown Mexican. How shocking was this? Deeply, deeply shocking, Rob. I think Josh Warrington was a 1-100 to favourite going into this one. And for those who don't follow the better, I mean, if you place £1 at £100, you'd have got a pound back. So, Warrington, a mammoth favourite. Everybody expected this just to be a blowover. Just get the cobwebs off from a bit of ring rust. Get back in action. Beat Laura in two or three rounds. Beat this Mexican lad. And then proceed towards another world title fight. Not one person called this. And usually... When there's big upsets, that's that's the saying that not one person called this. But maybe when Fury beat Usyk or Boyou beat Hay, I mean, there were some people saying it might happen. Absolutely nobody considered this as a possibility. It was a complete foregone conclusion. The fact is, I wasn't even that interested in watching it because I felt it was going to be a foregone conclusion. And then, of course, I saw all over Twitter that Warranty was engaged in a titanic battle, and I had to switch over. I mean, he got caught big in the first round by an uppercut, which seemed to hurt him. And then in the fourth round, he went out and got knocked down. And a lot of people felt that that could have been the moment that either the referee or the corner saved him from himself. He carried on valiantly, Josh Warrington, but he just couldn't seem to cope with the power. He ended up getting knocked out cold in brutal fashion. And those big fights seem a life way away now for Josh Warrington.
0: What went wrong uh, for, for Warrington? Was it tactical or was it physical?
1: Difficult to say. I mean, usually Josh Warrington's absolutely relentless in his approach. Throwing punches to the dozen from round one to round 12 and never giving in. A concern of mine is with that style, you can't go on forever. Has Josh Warrington just got old overnight? That's a concern. Is it because he wasn't motivated for this opponent? Did Lara just give him no fear? Was he expecting a big fight? He didn't get it. And he just simply wasn't up for this one. Did he feel flat on the night? Did he have a cold going in? Or was we simply not giving Laura enough credit? Because, I mean, it was Laura who was landing the punches, and it was Laura who got the knockout. So, maybe we're being somewhat unfair at him, but Josh Warrington didn't seem to look self. It'll be difficult to see where he goes from here. Uh, they're set to be a rematch, um, James. Can uh, Warrington win that one? I mean, if you'd have asked me yesterday, I mean... I mean, the day before, I mean, I wouldn't have even thought we'd have needed a rematch to put this into context. I thought Warrington just would have blown Lara out in a couple of rounds, but... There was nothing in the first fight to imply that Josh Warrington can win a second. He lost near enough every single second. He was put down. He seemed to get hurt by every single thing Lara threw. And it just never looked good for the Leeds Warrior. I mean, if he performed at his best, because I don't believe that was the best version of Josh Warrington. At his best, could he beat Lara? Yeah, probably. Is he at his best anymore? Is he going to go into that fight with a great deal of demons? We just don't know. So, if I had to call it right now, I'd have to say that Laura wins the rematch and probably wins it quicker. Is there a possibility he can't come back from this, James? Maybe. I mean, has this affected his confidence? I mean, it affect most people's confidence if you knocked out cold by somebody. I mean, Josh Warrington didn't... Usually, for example, in a fight, Anthony Joshua against Andy Ruiz, Joshua can look in that and think, I had Ruiz down. I had my moments of success. So he can build some sort of confidence going into a rematch. Josh Royton lost all of the fight. He can't build any confidence off the back of that. So I really don't know. Mentally, he may be scarred. And physically, if he is getting that little bit older, if the legs are beginning to get slower, you can't really reverse farther time. So there is a great possibility, Rob, that the Leeds Warrior isn't going to be able to win another world title. How good it is Lara? To me, he looks slow. Uh, he looked a bit flat on his feet. There's no denying he has absolutely huge knockout power. but he's just knocked out somebody there who was you know, a world champion not too long ago. So we have to give him all the credit in the world for that. And Lara is only 22 years of age, and he's doing that to somebody who's one of the best in the world. So regardless of how slow his feet looked or how you know, poor his footwork looked, we can't deny what he did. So, with that sort of power, and at that sort of age, with so much time to develop, who's to say Laura can't win a world title? And at the very least, she's going to be in some very exciting fights going forward.
0: Warrington was criticised for
1: avoiding fights. Uh, Does that decision, you know, weigh on his mind now, you reckon? I mean, some people are saying it was almost poetic justice, because he simply avoided Kid Galahad. Galahad and Warrington fought a couple of years ago for Warrington's world title, Galahad won the fight in everybody's mind, but the three judges at ringside, another extremely dodgy decision within the world of British boxing. And I don't think it came as a surprise when Galahad was in store for a rematch. It's Josh Warrington's mandatory. Josh Warrington vacated his world title, stating that he wanted to fight in big fights. Well, getting rid of your world title isn't a good look by any stage, especially when it's you were meant to fight a man who most people think beat you in the previous fight. So I don't think it was a good look by any stretch of the imagination for Galahad, uh, for for Warrington, rather. So maybe there was some poetic justice for Kid Galahad who deserved to be a world champion earlier. But I don't think anybody quite wished what happened to Josh Warrington upon him. I mean, that decision now to avoid the Galahad fight doesn't look great. But then again, some people can say, well, Galahad just would have beat him in worse fashion. And could Warrington have been capable of beating the other world champions who he said he wanted to fight and what justified his decision to vacate the belt? I don't know. I don't think he could have beat anybody in the top ten on last night's performance. It's difficult to see why that was, whether it was a lack of motivation and just feeling flat or whether it was because he's over the hill or maybe Laura is just very good and maybe Laura is a champion for the future. It's interesting to say but I don't think a lot of people saw that decision to vacate the title as a good one.
0: There was a controversy regarding scoring on the undercard, uh, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, uh, Kiko Martinez beat Zelfa Barrett out of sight in most people's minds. Kiko Martinez, a few uh, people may remember, you know, for fighting Brits, the likes of Carl Frampton and and Scott Quigg and Josh Warrington. Ironically, another fight in which people felt uh, Martinez probably did enough to win. But most people felt Martinez beat uh, Manchester Zelfa Barrett out of sight last night. And uh, the scorecards were handed in. Barrett had won by 10 rounds on two of the cards. And we're in this position with British boxing now where we're becoming the new Germany, the new United States. We are probably, as of right now, and it's difficult to say, but probably true, the worst country in the world for hometown decisions. We seem to get one of these every single week, Rob, a disgusting decision, unjustifiable cards, And I've heard rumours of people saying it's incompetence that the judges are scoring fights a certain way. For me, it isn't incompetence, Rob, because there's no way a professional he has been trained to score a fight, could possibly come out with those scorecards when people at home and all the other pundits and all the other fighters can see it going one way. And then it just so happens that three people at ringside call it completely different. Something needs to be done. I think Eddie Heard coming out and saying, you know, that the scorecards were bad, we're good. But ultimately, this comes down to the British Boxing Board border Control because their officials are handing in horrendous scorecards week in, week out, and nothing whatsoever is being done about this. A video has been
0: released of Tyson Fury running into
1: the sea in Morecambe, uh, and he doesn't look in great shape, does he? Uh, No, he definitely doesn't, Rob. Uh, Not by any stretch of the imagination. Tyson Fury is somebody who I felt was keeping in good nick throughout lockdown, posting multiple videos of himself training, doing bits with Emmanuel Stewart, doing the Instagram workouts, which seem to be motivating people, but he didn't look in ideal shape in Morecambe. I mean, let's not get it twisted. He's not back to where he was. But when you think that the Anthony Joshua fight is only five or six months away, you'd like to see him in slightly better condition than this, Rob. And I know he's lost lots of weight in the lead-up to big fights before, but that's not what we want at this stage. We don't want the biggest fight of his life to be a weight-loss camp. We want him focusing on a game plan to beat Anthony Joshua, not getting rid of the weight. So this isn't ideal by any stretch of the imagination. He could have done with that rumored fight in December with Adjet Caballel, because it would have kept him in shape and it would have kept him motivated. It seems now that He's let his absence from the ring get the better of him because he has put on a lot of weight. And so, it, I mean, Tyson Fury a special athlete, yeah. But how many times can he keep losing lots of weights before big fights and it keep working out for him? Eventually, his body's got to give him and he's not doing himself any favours. So can he still win the Anthony Joshua fight? Of course he can. But it was worrying to see. There was a fantastic fight uh, for the
0: European welterweight title uh, next week, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there's a great fight. David avanesian versus Josh Kelly. Josh Kelly, a laugh from Sunderland who came from the Olympics. Looking to win his first massive, massive title against David Avanesian, who's a former world champion and has looked absolutely relentless at world level. Defeating people left right and center, knocking them out. Most famously, of course, Kerma Laharaga in Spain to win that title. But he's looking excellent, avanesian And to be honest, Despite the amateur pedigree of Kelly, I think Amonition's the favorite in this one. He's looked tremendous as of late. Like. The two were scheduled to fight before Kelly pulled out with just a day to go, and a lot of people felt that felt that Kelly ducked Amonition. I mean, it was rumored that in the day before the fight, his trainer Adam Booth said, "Make the fight a ten rounder, or we're not taking it." Of course, dropping from twelve to ten maybe suggesting that Kelly wasn't quite ready for this big stage. Is he ready now? Potentially, he's had a bit more experience. But Avinashin, I still think, is an incredible fighter. And I think he's the favourite here. But if Josh Kelly is as good as people think he could be, then maybe he can win. And if he does, he's a genuine campaigner for a potential world title, Rob.
0: Andy Ruiz looks set for a ring return, doesn't he, James?
1: He told us, we were just talking about Tyson Fury not looking in great shape. Andy Reese is somebody who's not looked in great shape himself throughout his career. But he looks as good as I've ever seen him. He's working hard with Canelo's trainer, Eddie Reynoso. And he's coming back. And it looks like he's taking on Chris Ariola in an all Mexican dust-up. That's when I think he wins and one he'll get back on the horse after, you know, nearly, well, over a year out now. And he's still got the talent to do some serious damage at world level. So I think we all hope that he gets in shape finally. Because he's had years to do that. I mean, Andy Roos had had 30 plus fights and he's never made the effort to get in shape. Maybe training alongside the likes of Canelo and Ryan Garcia, some of the biggest stars in the game. He'll finally find his discipline and he can finally achieve what he's capable of. Adrian Broner is back on Saturday, James. Looking forward to that. Adrian Broner, one of the most controversial stars in the sport. I mean, he's spent jail time. He's constantly getting in trouble with the law. But by all accounts, he's looking like he's actually taking boxing seriously again. His opponent this weekend is unbeaten, but I still feel like he's, I still feel like Broner should win this one. I mean, is it too late for Broner to fulfill his potential? Probably. But just for his own state of mind, I feel like it'd be good to get him in a boxing ring. And he's still one of the biggest stars of the United States. Like it all over, controversy sells and Broner brings controversy in abundance. Lots of people will be tuning in for this one, and Broder could do with a massive career performance because he's only a loss or two away from becoming irrelevant in this division. And finally,
0: James, uh, there's a great heavyweight bout on the undercard. Uh, tell us all about that.
1: There is Dominic Brazili, a former two-time world heavyweight title challenger. Not necessarily the best heavyweight, but always durable, always game. And has a couple of good wins over the likes of Izu Agono and Eric Molina, a man who always gives it his all. He's taking on Otto Waller, who, of course, gave Tyson Fury hell in their fight, had Tyson Fury rock, cut him badly, and nearly had the Gypsy King out of there, and arguably the hardest fight of Tyson Fury's career. I think it'll be a great fight. Both men have high goals, love to come forward, love to unleash bombs, and I think it'll be a really fan-friendly affair. I think, personally, Otto Waller's going to be too much on the night. I mean, Dominic Brazilian in his two world title com- uh, campaigns... You know, he was outclassed by both Tyson, uh, by Anthony Joshua and, uh, and Deontay Wilder. Otto Wallin pushed Tyson Fury really close. I mean, he could be a really high level heavyweight. So I think Otto Wallin wins this one.
0: So, welcome back to the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton, and we're looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford. am joined. By Paul Whiteside from The Devil in the Detail. Uh, looking forward to talking all things football and rugby league, Paul. Yeah, certainly, mate. It's been another busy week it? in the uh, in the football stakes.
2: We've also got a bit of rugby league news as well with the the fixtures and the Challenge Cup draw as well. So yeah, it's um, exciting stuff. Looking forward to chatting about it, mate.
0: Yep. So let's start with the football parlour. Manchester City: two wins from two uh, this week. They beat Swansea three-one in the FA Cup, and then beat Spurs 3 uh, 0 Very good results for Pep Guardiola's men.
2: Yeah, certainly. Uh, both both pretty pretty comfortable results. Really I expected the, the victory against Swansea City, no in order with respect to them. But the Tottenham game, you know, after fifteen wins on the spin. I fancied Tottenham to to nick a point today. uh, Sorry, Saturday at uh, at the Etihad. But no, City were pretty good, really. Apart from that that penalty miss, which was a bit of a a dodgy one. You know, Gundogan was uh, was pretty good again. You know, scoring uh, scoring two goals, pulling as a makeshift forward. He he knows where the the, knows where the the goals are, doesn't he? He Seems to pop up and and score them. And you know, his, his quality as well. And like we've been saying in the last couple of weeks, they're going to take some stopping now. The defense is really really solid. You know, they're scoring goals and, you know, playing some good stuff. And they just look the most consistent side in the league at the moment. Other sides seem to be faltering and dropping points. And City just seems keep, to keep, keep going. So they've, they've got to be nailed on odds on favourites now to take that title.
0: Why, why is City that good, Paul? Obviously, you know, teams that win titles are able to, to either grind out results or, or make magic happen and nick results. How, how do you coach that? And, and how is Pep doing it? I think a lot of it starts at the back, Rob. I think
2: you've got a decent goalkeeper and a decent defence. You're halfway there, aren't you? And from what I've seen in the Premier League, I'm not like a massive football guru, but I have noticed City's defence is, is, is brilliant at times. You know, the, the meanness in there. And they seem to do a lot of the little things right. They've got some really good young players as well. I've been particularly impressed with that Phil forward, um, And he just seem to have a nice blend there as well. And, like I was saying, they, they've not really got a recognised forward at times, have they? And you know, with Aguero being out and, and De Bruyne has been out as well, and they just seem to have that quality that comes in. They seem a real hungry side and a very disciplined side as well. I think that's one thing that Pep seems to to get out of them. They do those, those little things right, you know, the things that you don't often see, you know, you know the, the tracking back and just the, the quality of passing the ball. I mean, sometimes they're probably a bit guilty of trying to pass the ball into the net, you know, the, the way that they play. But I've been very impressed with them recent times and. I don't know. They, they just seem to have that togetherness in the squad and, and that winning mentality. And we've said it before. Once you get on those winning runs and you start picking results up, you you get that bit of luck as well. You create that bit of luck, and they just seem to have that at the moment. They seem to have a real calmness about them, and they they seem to make it look really easy as well.
0: Yeah, I, I, like you said, playing without a centre forward is, is is you know a, a difficult thing to play against. You see, because obviously you know when you're the defender, having that sort of striker. To, to defend against, sort of organises your defence, keeps them focused. But the way City play without that centre-forward, people sort of drift in, in and out of position. You know, defences get nervous, don't they, Paul? Because they're not sure when to go, when when to stop, who to tackle. And it, it becomes a problem. And I think Pep's got this uh, tactical uh, situation down to a T here. He knows how this system works and teams are really struggling with it.
2: Well, yeah, and I think they've got a fantastic attacking midfield as well, haven't they? You look at that, like Raheem Sterling. There, I mean, the pace that he possesses and some of the quality there in that game against Tottenham. You know, they they really are. They they, they complement each other. Don't they that midfield and that they create so much for each other as well. And you know, a side like Tottenham, they brushed them aside side. I think there was a few glimpses in the in the game from you know Gareth Bale. There was some nice touches from him, but they never really got going in that game. So, I, I think um, I think it's been an excellent result for City and. You know they're still you know, fighting on all, front, all four fronts, certainly in the Champions League, League Cup, FA Cup as well. And games are coming thick and fast as we keep saying. But you know, I, I think they've, they've got a real chance this season of picking up, you know, quite a few trophies if they, they keep going and get a few of their injured players back as well. They're going to be even stronger.
0: Yeah, you talk about City's kill his heel with the with the penalty uh, situation. Obviously, they're not converting as many as they should do. Um, people talk about Edison, the goalie, having a goal. Do you think that's a good idea having your goalkeeper come up for penalties? You know, just in case you miss one and he's got to run back ninety-five yards
2: well yeah you're all right if you score aren't you but if he runs all the way up and misses it or it's the post and he's got an awful long way to to jog back or race back to get back between his own post so hmm, it'd make uh, make it very exciting wouldn't it I suppose if if he's confident though of uh, of scoring then why not but no I think he'd be in trouble with Pep if he he missed and then conceded one
0: yeah also another person uh, playing very well Phil Foden uh, the midfielder from Manchester City you know done great things with England so far as well and you know, I see him as a a big talent for the future. People talk about him and Grealish being the next generation leading England through, and I don't think they'd be looking too far wrong there. No, and it's nice
2: to see that as well. I mean, a lot of sides that have been successful over the last couple of decades, and you know, a lot of the players have been from overseas. And you know, have not particularly Manchester City. I don't think they've had lots of you know star names coming through. I mean. He really is a star name, isn't he? And it's great to see, you know, if you've got that international quality coming through your, your academy ranks. So, uh, so yeah, everybody likes a whole-grown player, don't they? And he seems to be playing really well at the moment. It catches my eye every time I see him, you know, scoring some some fantastic goals and great finishes from him. And, you know, he looks one for the, you know, we say one for the, the future, but he's one for now, really. He really is an excellent player and, you know, I wouldn't like to put a price tag on him at the moment and it's great to see that. you know, the, the together, as I said, in that City squad before. The willingness to fight for each other in battle. I think that's what's going to get them over the line this season. I, I really do. I've been really, really impressed with Phil Foden.
0: Obviously, you know, looking at the FA Cup, they've got Everton uh, in the next round. They've got to think about beating El- Everton. They're a tough side um, away from home, uh, Everton. But, you know, City are, are a team on form and, they, you know, they are looking towards a possible travel here,
2: Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. You've got the uh, the Champions League as well, haven't you? It could be the, the quadruple, couldn't it, if they, if they win all four of those. Yeah. I think they play in the, the League Cup final, don't they? In, uh, is it next month in March? So they've got that look to look forward to as well. And Yeah, as you said, FA, FA Cups it's tough, the FA Cup, isn't it? Sometimes in cup ties there, it's a it just depends how you are on the day, don't you? And Goodison Park's a tough place to go. We've seen Everton. I think they've, they've been pretty good this season at times. They fell away a bit at the moment and a bit of a, a ropey run, but they look pretty good against Manchester United the other week. They've been scoring, uh, been scoring plenty of goals as well. So that that's not going to be an easy game for City that away at Everton. They're going to be battling to, you know, to, to get to, back to Wembley and, uh, and playing an FA Cup final. It's been back quite a while since they've played in a, in a big final like that. So uh, that's going to be a real tough fixture.
0: Yeah, two fixtures Uh, this week. Man City, they've got Everton away on Wednesday and Arsenal away on Sunday. Um, Like I said, tough fixture, Everton away and Arsenal, you know, on Sky on the Sunday will be a big test for Pep Guardiola's men. Yeah,
2: certainly Well, I think Arsenal have, have probably fell from grace, haven't they, the last couple of seasons. not been the, the force that they were, you know, a number of years ago now under Arsene Wenger. So, they've got a good result against Leeds at the weekend, I believe. So, uh, they're always hard to beat down there at the Emirates Stadium, aren't they? That's another... It's a big month, this, for Manchester City. I was talking to one of my pals recently, who's a, who's a big City supporter, and he was saying this month's going to define the season now, particularly its next, next sort of three or four games. The away games are always tough, aren't they? So, I think if they can come through this week with, with two victories against Everton and Arsenal... Then you are really you're nailed on for that title. I don't think they can. You know, city supporters aren't going to say that just yet, are they? have been they've been let down in the past, haven't they? But I think at the, at the moment now, you would have to say they are, are odds on now. But you know, a big win for Leicester at the weekend. They're they're sort of hanging on the coattails at the moment. They? they had an excellent victory over Liverpool coming from one 0 down. Manchester United faltered, didn't they? I'll we'll speak about it shortly. But you know, City are the form side of the moment.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Man United now. Um... Sort of a mixed week for them. They beat West Ham in the FA Cup to get through to the next round. It was a tough game against the Amers. It took two extra time to to get the winner. Uh, Scott McTominay, uh, late strike, sends uh, sends all his men through.
2: Yeah, it was. It was... um... A real sort of labour game for them, really, wasn't it? They took the, the, the time to, to get that result. You know, going to extra time in a game you would have fancied them to win, really. But West Ham have been good this season. They've been a real surprise package for me in the Premier League. I think they've done an excellent job there. David Moyes done a great job at West Ham and. You know, um, really got the fans on side now. They've been playing some really good stuff. So, But it's always great to get through in the Cup. I mean, nobody remembers the score in the FA Cup. It's a knockout competition. It doesn't matter whether you win 5-0 or 1-0. As long as you're in the hat and the draw for the next round, that, that that's all that matters, really. So, uh, you know, it's nice to see them through uh, in, into the, the quarter-finals now you're at. So, it's uh, exciting times.
0: Yeah, Leicester away in the, in the next round of the the Cup. Uh, Paul, I... <laughs> Ollie's got to be looking at winning this FA Cup, um, especially obviously with with the league maybe a little bit too far away from them now. Yeah, I, th- I think at times this
2: season United have flattered to deceive. Really, you know, they've been really good on occasions, and then and then really poor and let themselves down. On others. And it's that consistency that you need in any sort of sport, isn't it, to to, to challenge for the honors? And they've just lacked a bit of that that killer instinct in games where they should have won. Obviously, we'll talk about the game this this, this weekend. where they, everybody fancied them to win, didn't they, against West Brom and. They've come away with a point against a side who really struggled and, and struggled to score goals as well. The other week, United won 9 0 against against Southampton. They've been scoring goals for fun, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a real funny one. But I think the FA Cup's wide open, Rob. I really do. It's been a really exciting competition. I mean, the last round the game's been playing midweek as well. It's uh, quite a lot of them are televised, so with supporters not being able to go, we've been able to watch some really quality matches, haven't we? So uh, exciting. Wouldn't it be great if we could see a City United final? I mean, that's not not a, 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 a complete impossible at the moment so that's, that's going to be something to look forward to the next round definitely
0: yeah talking about uh, the West Brom draw there was uh, some VAR uh, controversy Paul with uh, Maguire being hauled down the penalty not being given um, we watch rugby league and video referee is part of that sort of uh, set up a, for a rugby league point of view do you think it's improved the, the game or, or made it worse um Yeah, it's a tough one. He's been in rugby
2: league for a long time now and I'm not a big fan of it. I'm not a massive fan of the the video replay, to be honest with you. I think a lot of the times the referee could get the decision right on on the field really because half the time when you go to the video um, replay, they can't really decide anyway, can they? Because they can't see the ball or this, that and the other. I mean, there's there's some things where it's cut and dry and yeah, they they need to go for it. But a lot of the times the referee could probably make the decision, you know, in the... um, in the match, really, rather than going for it. So I'm not so sure. In football, for me, I think it's, it's it's. I don't know. I might get get a bit of flack for saying this, but I think it's 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 spoiled the game a bit for me, really. I mean, players don't know when they can celebrate, really, now, do they? Because they're not sure where it's going to go to the the VAR and there's some decisions this weekend that I've watched. And I think, blimey, what what they're looking at? There's a couple of red card incidents this 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 week. I think the penalty that Liverpool got. Um, never a penalty in a million years for me, so uh, so no, I'm not so sure on on, on this VAR. It, it's not really, it, I don't think it's really caught on yet. I'm not so sure whether the fans are buying into either.
0: Yeah, I think it's the clear and obvious uh, thing. That's the that's what you know. VAR is there to to take out. I think in rugby league it works because really they're only looking at kind of whether they ground the ball or, or whether the ball's going out of play or, or, you know, things that they can measure. In in football, it's a bit different. They're looking at offsides and, and the way the rule is that if you're slightly, you know, past the defender, even by an arm, it's it's given as offside. When, you know, in the old days, with the offside rule, there has to be daylight between you and the defender. Then that would have been better. It would have been much easier for the for the you know video referees to, to be able to pull up a decision because it's a something you you have you have to look at and say yeah there's definite you know light between the defender and the attacker and he's, he's offside but because of the way the rules have changed it makes that video refereeing decision you know very very difficult for me but if obviously being a rugby league man uh, and you had a chance to speak to you know the people in charge at the football what would you say to help them Make it better in football.
2: Um, I probably say stop going to it for every sort of every every decision that they do. I think for me, I when they when they first spoke about bringing VR via AI in football, sorry. I thought it was going to be for like goal line decisions, you know, a bit like the sort of the 1966 job where it hits the crossbar and bounces down. That's what I thought it was going to be, just, you know, deciding whether the ball's crossed the line, sort of thing, not for, you know, is the, it is the a penalty, is it in the box, or is it a free kick, is it a red card, and, and this sort of thing. So I didn't think they was going to be using it for all those different sort of situations. So I don't know. I think he can he can slow the game down. And the one I don't like is where you know a goal scored and then you can't really celebrate and you lose that moment of sort of ecstasy that you get sometimes. You know, you think of some of the goals that have been scored, the Aguero one against uh, QPR when, when City won, won the Premier League. You know, can you imagine if that had gone to VAR? You've got to put your celebrations on hold there or or the Solskjaer one for, for United in 99 in the, the Champions League where everybody goes spare for that that sort of 60 seconds. You're on a, you're on a different planet, aren't you? But I think you lose all that with VAR because you're like, oh, Hang on a minute. We'll, we'll put, the, put that on ice while we, while we check the video. So you lose that sort of uh, that mad moment, don't you? So yeah, I'm not a massive fan of it, mate. To be honest.
0: Yeah, you lose it. Obviously, when you you look at the linesman, aren't you? And you look at the referees to see yeah. what their reaction is. I think with the video referee, there's no one to look at. As it, you just kind of like the voice in the sky in it, really. And, and I think yeah. it's in, what they could do as well is mic the referee up. So then the referee can sort the crowd. Say, I'm just looking at, at this you know, particular incident when before, when the crowds were in the stadiums, nobody knew why he was going to the, to the video referee. Um, It's okay now because everyone's watching at home on the TV. So, the, you know, they can explain t- to the people who are watching on television, why the referee is doing what he's doing. But moving forward, I think when you get the crowds back in you, you do need that interaction with the crowd They do it in American football, where the touch judges and you know tell them you know what 's happened and who 's given the penalty and why i think they can do the similar thing in in football and in rugby league really
2: yeah well i've noticed in rugby league now when it 's on the on the television for for the television audience at home, the actual guy who's in the in the bunker, the video ref does does sort of talk you through it as he's making his decision, doesn't he? Or say, you know, slide it back. I want to have a look at this angle. I want to have a look at that. I want to see whether he's grounded the ball. So they do give you a bit of an insight, obviously, when you're at the match live. Don't think you can hear the the audio. Then, kind of, you've just got the the, the big screen to watch. So, uh, so yeah, I think there's always improvements and in, in things that you can do. You just don't want to take away that that sort of raw excitement that you get at the, the match because that that buzz is, you know, can be fantastic sometimes when you get a late try or, or a late goal. So, let's, as long as we don't take that away from the sport, then and all as well.
0: Yep, uh, United have Real Sociedad away in the Europa League uh, this week, and then they have Newcastle at home at weekend. Two big games uh, for Oli. Obviously, Real Sociedad in the Europa League will be a big test for him, and we're hoping we can pass that test and progress.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I'm not so sure about about them. I'm not like a big uh, big expert on, on on European football, but you know, it's be a tough game. I'm sure it will be. You know, there's no sort of donkey teams in that in that tournament. I think, regarding the the league, you know, Newcastle United, very funny side Newcastle for me. They're another team a bit jekyll and Hyde, aren't they? And I know their form has sort of improved, but they're a bit in and out, aren't they? Lose one, win one, lose one, win one. So, I, I know they've been pretty poor at home this season. I think they've they've lost quite a few games at St James's Park, haven't they? But that's that's a game you'd expect United to win. That I think definitely. You know, and they, they're still not on that Premier League title race yet. I mean, we know we keep saying City are this, this machine, but the two sides have got to meet, haven't they? I think it's next month and City's got some big games coming up. They really have. I think they've got to go away to Leicester. They've got that away game at Arsenal. So they've got some tough fixtures coming up as well. So, And they've got, you know, they're fighting on all four fronts. They've got a League Cup final to look forward to, an FA Cup game. So, uh, so I don't think it's all over yet.
0: Yeah, let's talk uh, at off City now. They beat Cambridge United 4-1. Uh, last week at home. Great result for the Ammys. 3-0 up at half-time, quite dominant in the game. Two goals from Ian Henderson uh, made the difference for the Amis.
2: Yeah, well, I know quite a bit about Ian Henderson. He, he spent quite a long time at Rochdale football. A few of my friends watched them and I know he's quite a talisman for, for, for Rochdale, scoring plenty of goals and that's a really good result. I think Cambridge have been pretty decent this season, so a really good result for Salford and the... You know they're they're in they're in a good position at the moment in the league table and, and they have been been impressive. I think since the, the the turn of the year really, I think they've been doing really well. So uh, you know they they put themselves in you know a, with a real good chance of uh, you know playoff football and and, and getting promotion and, and they've got that game at Wembley as well in the uh, the Football League Trophy to look forward to. So a lot of exciting times there for the Amis.
0: They had a game against Bradford City postponed weekend as well. I suppose it's disappointing that they can't get the games on, but. Player welfare, player safety is is important, and I suppose moving forward they might be looking at improving uh, the you know the facilities down there um, at, at um, the peninsula with a better pitch and, and things like that, which which will help them uh, as they go on. Yeah, I
2: think it's probably tough, isn't it? This uh, this time of year. You know um it's been really cold, the weather on it you know this particular last week, I was just watching on the on the news tonight, I think at the top of Scotland they've had like minus twenty three or something like def like that, so it's been really cold, you know you know around the our area i mean i I do central eating for a living In the matter of boilers we've gone to recently where the pipes have been frozen outside the old condensate pipes, and we've not seen that for. We've not seen that for about five or six years. You know, this sort of cold. You know, it's been not hardly getting above freezing. So that's tough on your pitch. I mean, for any pitch that, like, if you've not got under soil eating, you're going to struggle with it. But no, they've got a few. I think they've got a few games in Ansalford now, haven't they? But uh, but no, particularly impressed with that result against Cambridge. The Cambridge at like top of the table. So they, the way they blasted them aside there, that's going to give them an awful lot of confidence going into the. You know, they've still got plenty of games left, haven't they? In the, in the season, Probably about twenty games left, something like that. Knowing that. In that league, so there's, there's an awful lot of football to be played, and I still think they can uh, make an impact on League Two. Yep,
0: yeah, they've got Barrow on Tuesday at home and then Carlisle on Saturday at home. Two games in quick succession, both at home. You're hoping the Amis can back back to back wins them uh, and keep their momentum?
2: Yeah, well, certainly. I know Barrow are at the bottom of the table, aren't they? Struggling at the moment, and, uh, and Carlisle are one place above Salford, so they're. You know, knocking on the door of the uh, of the playoffs, haven't they? I think Exeter are seventh with forty two points, Solving only a point behind them. So it's um it's very it's very tight that division, very tight. came Cambridge the top of forty nine, and you, you know you can. Um, Throw a blanket over the other clubs, are all really close. So, you put a run of fixtures together, you know, a couple of results together, you're right back in there, and there's, there's still a chance of automatic promotion. On you know, three sides, go up, don't they, from League Two to, to League One? So, I'm pretty sure Salford will still be targeting that if they can keep getting the victories. Uh, you know, they're going to put themselves in it with a real good shout of promotion this season. It should be a really exciting end of the
0: season, but. I think it's fantastic that all our local clubs are, are competing and and looking at, at being towards the top of the top of the division divisions. And it shows how rich with the uh, quality we have uh, with the teams in our area.
2: It certainly does, mate. And I think you know football's been pretty exciting this season. If you look at the Premier League, it's been really close, hasn't it? I don't think I've seen a league table of sort of. You no, know, chock-a-block is, is, is what it is at the moment. It, it really is. I mean, look at the, the bottom of the table. I think there's a couple of sides down there that are a bit maroon now to, to relegation. There's a bit of a gap developing. But sort of the mid-table up towards the Champions League places, you know, it's really close, isn't it? And... I think if you look at promotion places in the Championship, there's there's an awful lot of sides in there who are going to be busting their gut to get in the Premiership. I know Brentford have been playing really well, but tremendous to see him in the top league. They've they've been one of the consistent sides of the of, of the recent years, haven't they? League One, League Two as well. There's some. Some real good uh, promotion and title chases there in all on in all the divisions. It should be really exciting. just a little shout out to another local side of ours, you know, not too far from, from Salford, really, them They're doing tremendously well in the in the national league. I've noticed their results and you know, I think they had a fantastic win last week down at Torquay on a Tuesday night. So what a trip that is on a Tuesday. So they're knocking on the door of the football league now as well. So it'd be great to see them get promoted.
0: Yes, yeah, fantastic! All our clubs, you know, competing every week, Paul, and that's what you want. You you want your local talent to be at the top of the top of their division, and and you know that, that's what football is all about. It's a ride in the emotions and enjoying the moments, and you know, hopefully, it won't get spoiled by VAR.
2: No, and hopefully crowds can come back sooner rather than later because it is missing the, the crowds at the moment, isn't it? I know and I've watched a few of the games and they tell it's, it's just not the same, is it, with with no supporters there. But, uh, but yeah, I'm sure that'll all happen in the future.
0: Yeah, I think I think clubs need, you know, the crowds in. I think it's going to be a very fine sort of balancing act with Boris having to decide when it's safe because, obviously, they'll need to do some kind of, like, test runs first, wanting to before they get... To get people in, and then keeping the R rate at a certain level, and it's going to be tough. But these these clubs rely on 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 the the money generated by fans coming in, and obviously every week that there's no money coming into the club, is it, is it another week where the clubs suffer. So the clubs will be banging on the number tens door, trying to get Boris to 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 relax the rules and, and get everyone in the in into the football and rugby stadiums.
2: Yeah, I I I don't know about banging on his door like, but it's um you know it's a lot of positive news at the moment. You know people are having the vaccine, aren't they? And you know quite a lot of people have had the the jab in this country now, and it's you know hopefully with once everybody's been jabbed, it's kind of um going to slow that 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 rate down, isn't it? And uh, bit better, better weather coming as well, and you know people don't get you know flu-like symptoms, do they? As, as we progress towards the summer, not as much anyway. So I think things are going to start looking brighter. I think once people have the have the COVID jab and, and things like that, and you know even if you had to keep your mask on at the match, I'm pretty sure people would do that, wouldn't they? You know, keep their hands clean and, and whatever. So yeah, I think we've just got to be very patient. You know, health comes first, and we all look after each other, and uh, you know we we we, we slow this uh, this thing down. I'm sure things will get better in the future.
0: Let's uh, talk Rugby League now, Paul. Salford Red Devils fixtures, the opening fixture, will be against Seth Helens in the Super League on the 26th of March. A re- sorry, replay of the Challenge Cup final a couple of years back. It will be interesting to see uh, what Richard Marshall's men can serve up.
2: Yeah, the 2019 Grand Final against Saints. Uh, yeah, it doesn't seem that long ago, does it, Rob? You know, since we were, we were playing that game and... No Saints won it again last season with their epic final against Wigan, eight eight four I think it was at the KCOM Stadium in Hull. So they've been the team to beat, haven't they? Under uh, the last two two coaches that they've had, and Richard Marshall has worked alongside both those coaches, hasn't he? You know, Christian Wolf last season and uh, Justin Holbrook the season before. So I'm sure Richard Marshall has learnt an awful lot in his apprenticeship there with Saint Helens and worked with Tony Smith at Warrington before that as well. And you know he's he's got an awful lot of knowledge for rugby. League. You know, it's thrown up a really good fixture. There. That game is going to be behind closed doors at Headingley, so. Uh, you know, we're not going to uh, to the Saint Helens ground. We've had quite a bit of pain there, haven't we? In, in recent years, losing some really close matches. So it's uh, it's a, a mouth watering game that Rob. It's a tough start for us, but you know, at the end of the day, you've got to play everybody twice in the season. So I don't think it makes any odds when you play them, whether it's first game or last game. To be honest, you know, it's uh, you've got to play them. So why not early doors and you know, really really test ourselves? I'm looking forward to that. We've got a really good squad there at Salford and some really exciting signings and. No, I think we can uh, we can knock Saint Helens off. We proved that last season. All right, it might be an understrength side, but we played really well and and, and got a result. So uh, yeah, excited for it to start, mate.
0: Yeah, Magic Weekend is on the fourth and fifth of September, and the Grand Final is on the ninth of October. I think it's in, I think the clubs have probably looked at sort of pushing that them two events for as far as they can into the future to give them chance to have crowds in. Magic Weekend's always a special moment with all the fans in, in sort of the vicinity and everyone watching game after game together in the stadium and we're hoping, Touchwood wood, we're all going to be able to do the same this year.
2: Yeah, I think, to be honest with you, if you can't have crowds, I think the Magic Week is a waste of time. And really. I think that's what it's for, isn't it, for people to go and, and celebrate like a festival of rugby league. You get sort of, you know, is it how many teams in the league, 12 teams in the league, so three games per day, isn't it, you know, back-to-back matches. Uh, people don't they? And, and to be honest, we've been blessed by the weather over the last couple of seasons at the at Saint James's Park. I mean, it's had some tremendous weather there, and it's a bit ropey at Anfield. I think a couple of years ago. Well, every time we've been up to Newcastle, it seems to be really good weather. Everyone's really enjoyed it. People have stayed for the weekend. So, yeah, if you, if you can't go and crowds can't go, it does seem a bit pointless going up there and you know having all the teams play on the on the same day. So. By September, let's hope it's going to be a lot better. It's a long way down the line, isn't it? That, but, uh, but yeah, I'm just hoping we get a, we get a nice fixture for that one. We don't want St. Ellen's again doing the magic week, and let's hope they give us uh, someone. It was a bit, a bit kinder. The fixtures a bit more kinder for, uh, to us.
0: Yeah, every weekend's a Magic Weekend at the moment, Paul. Talking about Magic Weekends, uh, 25 years ago, uh, last week, Salford Red Devils beat Wigan in the Challenge Cup at the, uh, the Willows, 26 points to 16 to end Wigan's Challenge Cup dominance. A fantastic uh, game, a fantastic moment for Salford Red Devils, the, the club, the fans and everyone sort of about Salford. Talk us through your memories of that fantastic day.
2: Oh, it's a magical time, really. Like the the mid 90s I think the '95 season was was tremendous. That that short season, that centenary season, we had. We did really well and won the league. And then the, the game against uh, against Wigan was just before the, the summer season was to start with our promotion, so we got promoted as well on the back of that. I can remember the game before we played Featherstone at home in the round before, and it snowed. I can remember people going clearing the, the the snow off the pitch before the match, and we, we had a really good win against them. And then the Wigan game, oh, it's tremendous! It was absolutely packed out. The, the willows in the little corner, I, I used to stand in with my dad just at the corner of the north stand there. You couldn't move for, for for Wigan supporters and plenty of solid supporters there as well. But the away fans always used to sort of mass themselves in the north stand, didn't they, at the Willows? And you know, it, was, it was a great day, it really was. It was one of those, every time Wigan had the ball, I was counting how many tackles it was done, because it was so dangerous. You know, players like Martin Afire playing from Sean Edwards and big uh, Twig Amala on the wing, Andy Farrell. They had, they had a team full of quality, didn't they? And, you know, it was really nerve-wracking every time they got the ball. But Salford were outstanding that day. You know, Lee, Steve Blakeler, you know, great at half-back. You know, Scott Naylor was unstoppable at times. David Young, Cliff Eccles in the pack. You know Darren Rogers, the, the the list goes on. Steve Amson, I think, played at fullback that day, and everybody was was tremendous. Everybody played the game of their life that day, and we didn't just beat Wigan. I thought we beat them comfortably in the end. We, we really were. It was a super performance for, for a side a league below Wigan to to play like that. I don't think you'll see anything like that for for a long time. I thought it was absolutely outstanding. It was magical. It really was a magical game. It was just a shame that we had to draw Say Ellen in the next round because. They were just sort of hitting their peak, so uh, that's how kind the of draw us was. Uh, draw, we, we did the business knocking Wigan out, and they give us ones in the next round, but no, magical time. Rob.
0: Yeah, it was a truly magical time uh, for everyone, and we're, we're going through another magical time now, to be fair, with, with uh, Richard Marshall and the club and Ian Watson last season, getting us to a, a grand final and a, and a Challenge Cup final. And, it, and you look back at them memories and you think to yourself, this is why you support the club.
2: Yeah, yeah, he certainly do, yeah, and Richard Marshall's got, you know, t- to follow now on, on that, that, that sort of legacy that, that Ian Watson's left, and in a way, I feel a bit sorry for the supporters, because that all ended a bit a bit sour, really, didn't we, with, with, with Ian leaving, and we weren't expecting that, where well, we have to get into the Challenge Cup final, and, you know, he sort of told us he was staying, and he wasn't staying, and then he he sort of went unexpectedly to, to Huddersfield. So that that left a bit of a sour taste in the supporter's bounds. But I think the fans have moved on now. They're really excited for, for Richard Marshall. I mean, he speaks really well. He seems a really warm, friendly guy, and seems a very uh, very driven man as well. And he, he wants to make his impression on, on the club. And I think the old regime's to be forgotten now. You got to you got to go with with this new one. And uh, he's brought his own staff in as well. You know, Danny O's come in. And it's exciting times. You know, the proof's going to be in the pudding. Richard will be judged on results. You know, we can't just uh, smile and everybody like him. He's, he's got to win matches for us. Now, that's how he'll be ultimately judged at Salford. And I'm very, very confident that Richard Marshall can do an excellent job and, and do the business at Salford, definitely.
0: Yep, two minutes to go, Paul, in the show. Let's talk about Swinton Lions. Uh, their fixtures have come out for the, for the next season. And their first game is against uh, Oldham away. A tough start for Stuart Little's men? Yeah, he probably is a tough start. You know, it's a derby game, isn't it, against,
2: against Oldham or you know, local rivals. Uh, he's probably, um, if you ask Stuart Little, you know, he'd rather play early doors, he'd probably say somebody like Oldham. No disrespect to them. They're probably one of the weaker sides, let's say, in the Championship. There's some big sides in there, isn't there? It's, uh, it's going to be a fantastic season. Very, very exciting, you know, that one. But I think Swinton, looking at their squad, we mentioned this last week, didn't we, the players that they've signed? They've got some really, really professional sort of. You know, like some Martin Ridd, yeah, there's some people who know the league and know how to get out of that league. So they've got some really good players there. And I think they've got a really good chance to be a, be a dark horse and, and be up there challenging with some of them. Other teams, they've probably not got the biggest squad in the world, but you know, they'll be excited with that. Good start against Oldham, get a result there. And, you know, they've got a good draw in the Challenge Cup as well.
0: Yeah, we've got a minute to go in and talk about the Challenge Cup. Uh, Newcastle Thunder at home to them. They're, that's how they start there. Uh, Ch- uh, ch- run to the Challenge Cup opportunity for Shuler men meant to uh, to put that on. Yeah, Newcastle Thunder a decent side though. They, they've done well last couple of seasons. They've got an awful lot of junior
2: clubs playing rugby league up that neck of the woods now, and uh, the game seems to be booming up there. So they're, they're going to be uh, be no mugs. They'll be, they'll be difficult to beat. But no, I'm expecting Swinton to get through. It'd be great to see Swinton a really good cup runner. I'd, I'd love them to draw it draw Solver in the Challenge Cup. We've not played them in the Challenge Cup for. A, for a long time now so that would be great maybe late 80s since the last time we played him in the Cup so that'll be something to look forward to so let's wish uh, Swinton all the best and let's hope they can have a really good run in the Cup
0: yeah it's going to be super exciting for Shuler's men uh, you know looking back at the Station Road days I'm sure they'll be you know, be hopefully getting back to, to representing big thanks for tuning to this week's Sports Zone. I'm Brian Parkinson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat on Salford City Radio